0: here's some tips for maintaining your trex deck um occasionally wash it with some soapy water or a pressure cleaner trex composite decking is low maintenance and won't fade splinter or warp trex the world's number one decking brand
2: great form by you hitting play on this podcast now check out same racer the brand new racing app for same race multi-tips same racer Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by BlueBet. Gamble responsibly Go
0: 1-800-858-858. This is Mornings with Ian Smith.
3: morning, and good morning, New Zealand. It's uh, three minutes past nine here on Thursday morning. It's uh, Ian Smith with you from nine to 12 here on SENZ, and we've got a busy and very interesting morning uh, with uh, a couple of very, very special guests, including our very first one, uh, Lewis Clarebert will be with us. Of course, uh, he created a sensation with a great start uh, to the Olympics in the pool that really lit up our campaign. Uh, Karen Berger will be with us, and of course, uh, she's a member of uh, the Tactics. Uh, they're on the way up to uh, challenge and try and take that uh, title, the ANZ title, uh, away from uh, the Northern Mystics. They're at home, they've got to do it, at Spark Arena on Sunday afternoon. Uh, And then just after 10 o'clock, Peter Fitzsimons. Uh, I'm looking forward to this, and I'm dreading it a wee bit, because he's such a brilliant um, and clever man. Uh, He might be able to outfox me quite clearly, but he, of course, is always in the back of his mind. He's always got that thing in Eden Park, the Wallabies, the Bledisloe Cup. Uh, and that's my crutch, I can always fall back on that. So that's just after 10 o'clock.
1: Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's sermon.
3: Well, this time yesterday it became national news. A headline, misbehaving athlete, athletes on a flight home from the Olympics. A whistleblower, not happy to the extent it became what it is now. Make no mistake, uh, I'm a fan for others keeping certain things to themselves. Uh, and their COVID prevention masks would probably be at the top of the list right now. But let's consider a little bit more in depth the circumstances of this flight. Uh, it was a charter flight, especially arranged uh, for the purpose of bringing home Olympic team members. If you're on it, you should know that. Observing the protocols of a quick exit uh, you know, of, of the village, some barely having time to reflect, celebrate or commiserate before packing their bags and heading to the airport. Some I would imagine on massive highs, some I would imagine the other extreme. It was for many the end of a massively long campaign. So here they are, 40,000 feet up in yet another bubble with some music and some drinks, letting off a bit of steam, burning some adrenaline, doing what sporting teams have done since the year dot. Maybe it gets a little loud, gets a little bit raucous, so they're asked to Taiho some, turn it down a notch, and they oblige, apparently, No official complaints, no harm, no foul. For all intents and purposes, it's it's a plane destined for home or close to it. The boarding passes confirm that. The reality, though, it's a plane to quarantine. 14 more days of it. And after 14 days of that, the desire to party with family and friends may well have waned a wee bit. The highs and the lows will probably have balanced out. These are exceptional times we live in, so from time to time, we should do that, make some. Perhaps the question Should not be, why were our athletes singing and dancing and drinking and having some controlled fun? Maybe it should be, what the hell makes a whistleblower? Well, exciting times, they always are when the Olympics are on and uh, we always... Uh, celebrate the achievements of some. We commiserate with some as well because it, it's that kind of thing. And sport in general is that kind of thing. But it's so highlighted um, when everyone comes together at the peak of their powers to go for the ultimate prize. And uh, a bloke that did that for us uh, not that long ago, but uh, I believe he's back in New Zealand now, uh, very quickly is Lewis Clearbert who uh, set the st- standard for us. I think I, I think when, when Lewis hit the pool and did so well initially, uh, everyone thought, yes, the Olympics are on. Uh, you know, here's a chance, here's some magic, some early Kiwi magic early on. So I'm thrilled that Lewis is with us this morning. Uh, Lewis, you wake up, um, uh, I suppose, uh, with mixed feelings. You're home, but you're not home.
4: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's um, pretty tough knowing that, you know, New Zealand's right there and you can see it out the window, but um, you can't quite go and see it yet or celebrate with your friends and family.
3: So have you been able to to celebrate it all, uh, Lewis? I mean, let's look at your achievements, your uh, personal best. Uh, you know, you've made two Olympic finals. Um, you've set standards that New Zealand swimmers haven't done before. Uh, you are our best performer. So ha- have you been able to in any way, kind of celebrate?
4: Um, I guess you can celebrate it with your friends and like, you know, on the team and stuff like that. But um. Obviously, you sort of look back and you sort of celebrate yourself and you sort of see how far you've come in, in the last few years. And you know, personally, I think I was, I mean, I was happy with my results, but definitely not, you know, content with, um, you know, I could feel like I could definitely do better and, um, in the next few years. And, you know, you sort of reflect on the things you can do um, you know, in the future.
3: Lewis, you're a 22-year-old Wellingtonian at the moment. Uh, you're out of Scots College. So what, uh, traditionally a, a rugby school, a cricket school, of course the traditional sports, what attracted you to, to swimming?
4: Um, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Um, my whole, my family, both my older sisters, were you know, pretty keen swimmers and they were both also pretty good. So I guess I just followed in their footsteps um, mostly and then it sort of turned out that Um, you know, we were making national teams and then it sort of just carried on from there.
3: (laughs) Um, You look at your your performance in the Olympics, which, as I say, was outstanding. Tell us uh, your feeling after uh, the the 400-metre medley, uh, the heat time that that took you straight into the the grand final. What what were you feeling at that point?
4: Yeah, you know, I was confident um, after that heat. I was, I felt, Really, really good. You know, I even backed off a bit at the end of that freestyle, knowing that, you know, I was my freestyle was pretty strong, and I I liked the back my, you know, the back end of my race. So going into that final, you know, I, I was I was in the you know the highest spirits you could be, but I also knew that next morning it was going to be tough to get up and get going. Um, I've got a history of you know, as for well, everyone, I guess um, underperforms in the morning, and I. I and then you, you could see it in that final. It was pretty slow compared to um, what everyone did in the heats. So um, yeah, I mean, I was excited knowing that I'd, I'd done well in the heats and I hadn't even given it a hundred percent. And going into that final, um, I knew it was going to be tough, and and it was obviously um, to, to hit those times that you'd we'd hit in the heats.
3: So just for the uninitiated, the person that doesn't know. Uh, what is the difference? I mean, a lot of people say swimming, swimming. But what is the difference, uh, body-wise, mentally, morning and night?
4: Um, I think I'm still trying to figure that out, you know. I think um, as you get through the day, you wake up more, you, your body gets more relaxed, you, you find your, your feel for the water is easier, and I guess stuff just come, becomes easier throughout the day. Um and so in the morning, you know, my lungs were still, I guess, asleep and my body was, was still sort of getting used to the day. Um, I tried doing things like waking up early and stretching and, um, you know, doing little things like that. Um, I guess we're still trying to work on... Well, we're still trying to figure out what we can do to, to, to battle that morning blues, I guess you could call it. Um, so hopefully... By the time Paris comes around, or even next year in Birmingham, we, we know that as soon as if it's a morning final, we can get up and we can go and um, you know, race just as fast as we did
3: that in the heats. 9.11 here on SENZ, we're talking to the shining light of the New Zealand swimming team, uh, Lewis clearbert uh, Look, uh, I imagine with the COVID protocols and things, you weren't able to really technically or uh, literally rub shoulders with too many um, of, of your competitors, your fellow and hallowed competitors around the swimming scene—not in just in your event, but other swimmers. Uh, so, what was that experience like? Were you able to, to converse and, and and take something out of that, the experience there?
4: Yeah, I mean, it was definitely um, harder than normal to, you know, talk to your mates from overseas and you know, hang out with them um, when you wanted to. So I think it. It didn't affect us that much that, you know, we were blocked off from the rest of the world. We were definitely able to talk to people and, you know, do what we'd normally do um just with a mask on. It is definitely hard to to hold a conversation with the mask on because you don't really get the facial expressions or anything like that. But um yeah, we we're still able to talk and even in the the warm up pools, um, there was, wasn't really any restrictions because obviously you can't wear a masks mask when you're swimming, so um we could still chill out when we're warming up and have a yarn um, before race time.
3: <laughs> your your particular event, of course, is all, all four forms of, of the the major part of swimming are involved there. Um, if you if you look back at it, uh, which are the areas going forward uh, that that you're looking at working on?
4: Um, I think you know I was I was really happy with my front end of the race butterfly and backstrokes have come a long way and the backstroke used to be one of my weakest strokes and it was probably one of the strokes that stood out for me at this game. Um my freestyle, you know, I, I still like to back my freestyle because um of my heats, you know, I was I was pretty strong in that area of the race, but obviously in the final it was a bit um different. I think my biggest, you know, work homes are probably still the brisk stroke, uh lead and then also um Still, still, my turns are not quite as
3: fast as the rest of the world, and it's letting me down a little bit, yeah. Uh, Lewis, uh, has it made you hungry? Hungry to go further? Um, you know, I know you've got a bit of downtime now. I think uh, you're going through, uh, I read somewhere, you're going through cheat month in terms of your diet, which uh, is really, really appealing, I would imagine. I'm not sure how much you can cheat when you're <laughs> in, in quarantine, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, has, has it made you hungry, though, uh, for your next event to, to get back in the pool to train and get ready to, to go again?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Like, being in the New Zealand team, you know, environment and being able to welcome home uh, medalists from, you know, when we're in the village, um, you know, it makes you proud to be a Kiwi and it makes you really hungry to, to want a taste of the medals or a taste of the, the success that... All these other athletes are getting so um, you know it definitely helps motivation for now, knowing that you know that could be me or you know that we, we could really achieve that. Um, I've got a small taste of it in the heat you know knowing that I'm capable of doing some some good times and some competitive times in the world so um, yeah, I mean motivation is is pretty high at the moment. Um, I still need to come home and and have a break and Reset, refocus, and get ready for the next three years. Um, yeah, so it's just cheap months at the moment, which is <laughs> which is quite nice. I've ordered macas I think just once while I've been in quarantine, so <laughs> it's been pretty good.
3: <laughs> Fantastic! Those uh, Uber eats are great things. Eh? Hey, um, look, you know one of the great swimming combinations in New Zealand uh, was back in the day Duncan Lang with uh, Daniel Um, uh, You know the way they worked together as a unit. You've got a, a good relationship, uh, close relationship uh, with your coach Gary Hollywood. You've you've been together a while now. Uh, how does that work? How how, how does it uh, sort of mesh together?
4: Yeah, I mean Gary, um, I'm definitely very lucky to have Gary um, as my coach. He came to us back in 2016. Um, he was in Auckland and he was in Australia, and he decided that Wellington was the place he was going to. You know up his kids so or his kid. So, um, you know, I'm definitely lucky to have him. He, you know, he does everything he can to, to create the program that, um, is successful for me and, you know, my teammates. So, you know, he works with, um, guys like Ian Thorpe's coach, Doug Frost, who's a legend in swimming. And, um, he has lots of people that are, you know, help them build our program back at home. And, um, got a good relationship with him where we've got an open channel of communication that you know there's no there's no boundaries on what we can say to each other it's purely performance based so um, you know he can he can say whatever he wants to say to me if it's um, you know if it's going to improve my performance so uh, you know I think that's a good relationship to have with the coach
3: yeah total trust by the sound of it which uh, I think is the essence of any relationship sporting sporting or not you're still sponsored by funky trunks we might as well get some plugs in here
4: yeah, I am. Maybe we'll have
3: to send you over some budgie smugglers. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, I reckon that's a cool sponsorship. To be fair, uh, apart from apart from, is it the Kilburny pool you do your work in, or the old Freiburg?
4: Yeah, so mostly Freiburg, but um, when 50, the 50 metre setups at Kilburny, we we like to head over there as well.
3: Okay then, Lewis, uh, you, you you've got to tell us what. How are you going to what is your, your celebration time, your cheat month? You're going to have uh, a couple of weeks left if you if you call it a genuine month because you've got two weeks in, in uh, quarantine there. So let's say you've got a final fortnight. How is Lewis Clearburt going to celebrate this with his buddies?
4: Oh, I'm not sure, to be honest. I think it'll be a few more fast food. Um, Hopefully not too many kilos I'll put on my body. But, um, yeah, like I've, I've got friends and family waiting at home for me to, you know, have a few drinks and, and, you know, just have have a bit of fun and let let some steam off. So um, that's what I sort of think it's going to look like, but you know, so I've got no plans.
3: <laughs> Good on you, mate. Uh, it sounds like you're a pretty laid-back sort of a dude, and, uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why you're so damn successful. So, hey, congratulations on what you achieved. Didn't quite get on the, the, the dais. Uh, haven't got any silverware or gold uh, to bring home for it, but uh, on track, I imagine... Uh, Paris not that far away mate it's not that far away
4: yeah that's right you know three years is not actually that long considering um, you know we've got that extra year to prepare for Tokyo so um, look I'm excited what I can do and what we can can do for the next three years
3: cool hey Lewis thanks for the time this morning mate really do appreciate it Uh, and uh, you know go well 9.19 here on SCNZ uh, fantastic to talk to uh, one of our Olympians there. We're going to try and get as many as we can over the next few days as they filter on home uh, on whatever method they are and whatever kind of party they want to have uh, on their way home as well. And that an issue? You might want to talk about that, actually, or, or text us about it. 8833 is the number, uh, and also uh, that's the text number, 8833. 0800-150-811 is the phone number. You could win uh, an All Blacks experience courtesy of Ballpark Entertainment if we adjudge you to be caller of the month,
0: voice of sport in New Zealand. Run out of here, Nothing gets past Smithy. This is mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's nine twenty
3: four, and uh, we're getting texts in on the subject of the whistleblower eighty eight thirty three. If you want to climb in on this, uh, when is celebration appropriate? When it is it not? Is this not exceptional? Uh, that's the kind of topic I'd like to hear from you about. I mean. Uh, These are are people flying home to quarantine. They're not flying home, you know, to to loved ones and whatever. They've got to go basically uh, back into another bubble. And and here they were just having a bit of time together, last time together, um, in a very controlled environment by the sound of it. Uh, I was interested to see uh, that one of the articles on it, on Stuff, was written by Stuff's senior crime writer. A senior crime writer. What? Spot on, Smithy. Find the whistleblower out them. Was there any refs on the plane? I suppose there would have been a lot of officials on the plane uh, coming home as, as part of the uh, process to clear out of the village as soon as possible. Smithy, I'm with you, brother, on the whistleblower, or the whistle blow hard. he says. They must have the most boring, uninspiring life and can never keep their sticky beaks out of other people's good times. That's from Matt Down South. Uh, here's uh, another one here, hi Smithy and J.D. Will Lewis move to Auckland and use the Millennium Pool? It's the Olympic size and the depth pool. I guess he may have to leave his coach. Cheers Anthony. Well, here's the theory, you do have to make sacrifices, but uh, from that interview I would be thinking that uh, Gary Hollywood and Lewis Clareburt are a combination for the years to come. So, And he's a Wellington boy out of Scots College is Lewis, and they are uh, interesting people, Scots College that way I think uh, coming from a tie boy. Uh, John all black team 11.30 today they tell us 11.30 today an all black team finally uh, for this first of a double header at Eden Park what are you expecting anything sensational in any one of those areas?
0: Yeah mate this is um this is the real one isn't it? We've had three teams named and you know that they're not the top lineups but this one will be the top lineup and I think we uh, all agreed on Richie Maunger getting the 10 jersey is that
3: right Smithy? Yep Yep. Yeah, I'm with that. I'm with that, yeah.
0: Yep. Absolutely. And, and the outside backs, I think, is where the most consternation will be. Uh, who's going to play fullback between Jordy Barrett, Damian McKenzie, or will they revert back to Bowden Barrett? I'd say not, after Bowden's comments that he wants to play first five. So I'd expect probably Damian McKenzie's had the better uh, of the three tests so far, so maybe him at fullback. And I've loved Will Jordan, uh, fins up, on the right wing, Smithy. I know he had a wee hamstring injury in that third test, uh, the second one against Fiji. Um, so maybe he's, you know, just coming back from that and he's so good in that 23 jersey as well, but I really like him to start on that on that right wing. How do you see the wingers?
3: Yeah, I like Sevi Reese. I like his work rate. I like the fact that he's, just, he's gifted and that he turns up at the right time in a lot of situations. Uh, I think he's a very, very clever rugby player and I think he's an ideal back three player in any combination. So he's a given for me. I, I would like to... Uh, I think that um, uh, Moonga will be there because I I genuinely believe he's our best goal kicker. And and I think that's going to be important uh, in tight situations. And and he just needs a decent old run at 10 for me. And uh, unfortunately, uh, whilst you'd like to see Bowden Barrett for 80 minutes, I think we're probably more likely to see him for half an hour. And that's cool. It's fantastic because my memory takes me back to 2015 where he was dynamic in that role uh, to bring in a world-class player with that kind of skills on when some people are flagging. I think is a wonderful tactic, so yeah, that, that would be it for me. Uh, I take your point on Jordan, he's hot at the moment, he's scoring tries, uh, just you know for the hell of it. So I, I think I'd have him floating around the scene in some capacity, maybe he's um, my utility, back three player off the bench. Uh, and I've also pretty keen on Geordie Barrett, and I, one of the reasons I like Geordie Barrett at the back is he can boot you out of trouble, man. Uh, he, and he's learnt by some of the, his misgivings and some of the silly things he's done. He's a much more, a much better, much more, uh, I think, seasoned player now. So he'd be, he'd be in it for me.
0: Yeah, I just think that with David Havelli at 12, he's just kind of another a general, so you've got Richie Moonga who can be quite explosive and anything can happen at 10 but then you've got a, like a more solid player at 12 and then Anton's sort of solid as well at 13 so I just think you need more uh, explosiveness out of your fullback, someone who's going to create something from nothing so that's why I've gone Damien McKenzie but totally get your point with, with Geordie Barrett, best boot in New Zealand, absolutely the pack picks themselves I mean, loose forwards Akira Ioane at 6 uh, Artie at 7 and Luke Jacobson at 8, is that pretty much the way you think they'll go?
3: Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. They've tried a few combinations. Um, might be a little bit early for Blackadder to start against Australia, but he wouldn't let you down. Pretty impressed with uh, his work rate. Uh, I like 8th and Blackadder. Some have been released. I haven't got the full details of some released. So I've got some pretty big clues there, but I don't think any of those. Would you start... Would you, would Yeah, Hoskins satudu has been released, of course, out that loop-forward trio. He goes back and debuts for Counties Manukau uh, having been in Auckland the last year. So uh, the other one that is, is of interest to me is would you would you just throw Brodie straight back in along Sam Whitelock or alongside Sam Whitelock, would you bring Brodie Ritalik off the bench and start with uh, Scott Barrett because that's been a good combination as well, Barrett and Whitelock.
0: Yeah, it has. That is interesting. I mean, uh, I always want to start Brody Ritalik if I get a chance, Smithy, but I guess as he... Back up to a handy, I'd imagine he is. He's such a hard worker, isn't he, Brody? I mean, he just never stops. And he would be absolutely fizzing to be back at Eden Park playing against the Wallabies. He hasn't done that for a couple of years. So I would put the big man straight into that starting 15. And Scott Barrett's a great guy to have off the bench. But these things we'll all find out at 11.30, live on the show, Smithy. Pretty exciting.
3: Yeah, it is exciting. I, I myself might like to let Brody. I'll let Brodie might just uh, absolutely just cool his heels for 60 minutes. Imagine he, him hitting some rucks at Eden Park uh, when the Wallabies are starting to flag. That's a possibility. Anyway, all in the future, 11:30 we'll find out. Meanwhile, it's 9:30 uh, here on SENZ, and it's news time with Trudy. Well, it's a big weekend of sport up in Auckland, of course. The Bledisloe Cup between uh, New Zealand and Australia on Sunday afternoon at Eden Park again. It's uh, Auckland against Canterbury. And it's not the only Auckland-Canterbury rivalry of the weekend up in Auckland either because the ANZ Championship reaches its grand finale at the Spark Arena on Sunday afternoon. Uh, It is the Tactics travelling north to take on the Northern Mystics. Really pleased now to be joined by standout tactics defender, Karin Berger, who uh, has won it before. Well, good morning to you, uh, Karen. You've won it before, of course, with the Pulse. So h- how's your nerves level going into this weekend?
1: Yeah, good morning. Um, it's actually quite all right. I'm not one to really worry or stress about things too much. So I'm um, just really excited. I think the nerves will kick in on the day, usually in the changing rooms before we head on to the court. That's when I get the few butterflies in my tummy. But Otherwise, it's business at the moment. We're just working really hard to prepare our best um, to be ready to take them on on Sunday.
3: Yeah, it's a a hugely important week for for Netball in New Zealand, but uh, for you and you guys in particular down there. Now, can you sense within training, though, there's just a little bit of extra edge knowing what's at stake this week in particular?
1: Yeah, we try and um, be aware that, you know, it is a final, so... um, you do need to prepare for it a little bit differently. I think it's a more mental shift rather than a physical shift. We don't want to change too much in what we do um, just to make sure that we stick to the same routines because it's been working for us. So it is that slight difference, but it's more a mental thing and, you know, challenging each other and making sure we we fix those one percenters so that we're crisp when we step on court on Sunday.
3: Karen, it's almost two weeks in a row of, of finals netball for you because to travel south and have to beat the Steel in their own environment was pretty much a grand final in itself.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I think uh, a lot of us were quite happy with having to play an elimination final. Um, It's awesome to be able to, um, like for the Mystics who had gone straight through to the finals, um, and they had that bye week, and it's really important to make sure that you use that bye week quite well. And so for us, it was quite nice not having to worry about changing anything. We're just back to um, business as per usual. Obviously, we had one extra game that uh, went a little, meant a little bit of do or die. So, um, yeah, it was mm. awesome to play down there and, and um, against that crowd, against that team. They were really giving it to us, especially in that last quarter. So it was pretty awesome coming out at the top.
3: So you've gone from the pulse to the to tactics, Karen. What? What has it meant uh, for, for your game? Is it is it given a, a slightly new dimension down there?
1: Uh, well, the biggest change, I guess, is the positional change for me. And um, I knew coming in that it was going to be a bit of an adjustment for me only because I hadn't played this position at this level before. So, I mean, I grew up playing it, but um, at this level it's something completely different. And so I think you could see that throughout my season as well. It took a little while to get used to and also playing with um, Jane Watson in the back, getting to learn how to play with her. She's such an in, such an instinctive player and learning how to play with that. Um, I think it took us quite a while to get used to each other, but now that we are, it's gelling quite well. So... Um, I'm just happy to be playing with an amazing group of girls around me um, and playing some good netball. So I guess the move so far has been pretty good.
3: (laughs) I I was just thinking about that, actually playing in in a combination with Jane of of, of that nature. It's almost like you've got to sort of read each other's mind because you're working in such a (laughs) confined space with uh, two attackers coming at you. Um, I mean, you don't want to be drawn to the same one. You must really have to... Have that understanding, and that takes time, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, definitely, and and I think like I've mentioned before, like Janice, um, play a lot on instinct, and that's how she gets a lot of ball and a lot of tip. So, um, I mean, by all means, that that's how she needs to play. So, when people play on instinct rather than um set structures, I mean, we do have. An idea of how we need to move but a lot of our movements and i've heard before that i'm quite an instinctive player as well so having two people play on instinct that really relies on having that connection and understanding between each other so it took for us a little while to get used to that and knowing what our strengths are and what our kind of movements are to know who will go for what and what we need to be um attacking and um setting up for each other so it's um it's gone gotten a lot better since the start of the season, but I still think there's even more improvements to go, so yeah I'm looking forward to seeing where it takes us
3: Karen Berger, it's been a heck of a season for you. a lot of people are talking about you being uh, and the m v p for the season, which uh, I oh. suppose you're not even concerned about at the moment, but um, <laughs> you, you've You've had a heck of a year, uh, and it's been a heck of a battle between uh, the tactics and the mystics so far. You've played mm-hmm. on three occasions, and just a, really a goal or two separating you every time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's yeah. so nip and tuck. It's hard, it, You can't look at the form book and say, one's the favorite here.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, um, that's why we're going into Sunday with a pretty open mind, and you know, ready to for whatever is going to happen. Um, we need to um, really put our best foot forward, and I'm pretty sure they'll be doing the same, especially playing against um, with the home crowd backing them. We do have quite a lot of tactic supporters going up, which we're pretty happy and grateful for. Um, but like you mentioned before, our games have all been really, really tight against them, and I think it's going to be a very much attacking game. In the past, we've played against them. It has been very attacking, not... Not much ball to to get defensively because they're so strong on attack. But we do we're trying to be a little bit um, more smarter about how we can get that ball off them and then being critical and scoring it. And I'm pretty sure they'll be very critical in scoring all their ball as well. So yeah, I, I think there's going to be a lot of emphasis on um, possession and just scoring ball, um, and you know just trying our utmost best to try and get some ball off those tall timbers. <laughs>
3: So individually who are the biggest dangers to you do they are they presented in the mid quarter or just straight out on attack
1: Um no I think they've got a pretty pretty solid team right through court, especially starting with Silla at the back as a goalkeeper she's got that leadership and I think she's got a really good um sense of calm um, about her and I think that she brings that across to the rest of her team as well you can always hear her talking just like you can with Jane on our team so always in the back talking to her team and encouraging them and and helping them out so I think that's a very key person for them and obviously that connection between Peter and Grace is as a link that if we can try and get in there and and mess that link up (laughs) that would help us and or put us in a good um, um, foot so I'm really hoping that we can, you know, the people who need to step up in that game and trying to break break those links that we can do that. But I mean, they're a pretty good team from from one end to the other, and um, you you can't really pinpoint too much about who's going to be the big people to pull through for them. So, um, but yeah, oh, you can't look past the leadership of Salu and you know that link between peace and Grace. Karim.
3: It's interesting, you know, when you head to finals, particularly if you head to them for the first time and you're you're heading away to play them uh, on their turf. Mm -hmm. One of the factors that you you know you're going to get is the away crowd factor, Mm -hmm. uh, but you don't quite know how you're going to react to it. And (laughs) one way to react to it and to do well is to start quickly and to get your noses Mm -hmm. in front. Because playing catch-up against a crowd as well as a team sometimes isn't that easy, is it?
1: Yeah, no, and I think we've we've told that to ourselves as well. We've said that, um in the past we've ha- we have gotten leads on teams and we have been guilty in dropping those leads. Um and I think you can see that in our semi final against the steel as well last weekend. We played against a really solid, loud crowd and an amazing team who started fighting back in that last quarter and if, if that quarter was any longer we would have might have been in a little bit of trouble. So um, it is really key to get that run um, and that lead against teams and make sure that we actually keep them. We're actually quite happy with having played down in Invercargill, playing against that massive, um, loud crowd. That's a really good preparation for us going into Auckland. We're hoping that we'll have some tactics supporter in the, in the crowd as well, trying to cheer us on to just give us a little bit of an oomph as well. So, <laughs> fingers crossed.
3: Yeah, fingers crossed for you, uh, Karen. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. You sound pretty balanced and pretty relaxed about the whole deal, having uh, been a champion already. Uh, I hope that can filter through to some of your tactics teammates because it is going to be a massive occasion on, on Sunday afternoon at Spark Arena. So good luck to the tactics as they head north to take on the Northern Mystics for the ultimate crown in New Zealand netball. Good luck, Karen Berger, <laughs> with us there. Uh, it's, uh, it's 942 here on SENZ. Please, uh, your texts uh, are coming in. Uh, Could you, uh, to Smithy, the person who complained about the -the over-the-top celebrations on the Kiwi athlete flight home, chill out a bit. These guys and girls gave their heart, blood, sweat and tears for themselves, family and country in bloody hot conditions. This person was also coming home too and knew what this meant to this great battling sports nation. I would have loved to have been on that plane. Brendan from Queenstown. So yeah, you've got some solid thoughts about it. Uh, other texts coming in, keep them coming in and, and we'll read them out, 8833, put your name on it it always helps as well 0800 150 811 interesting we'll read some shortly and uh, might like call him with uh, John Day and just to catch up on what's happening with the Olympics later on today
0: Behind the stumps to behind the mic you're in safe hands It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ
3: We've been asking for your texts and calls, and Scott from Taranaki is on the line. Good morning to you, Scott. Uh, what takes issue with you today?
5: Well, Ian, good morning. What what happened to the old saying, what goes on to a stays on tour? Um, this is a charted flight, Ian. This is really disappointing, the person who ran on them for having a bloody good time, and they damn well deserve it. You know, legends are made out of good times on planes, like David Boone, for example. You know, so... <laughs> Let these guys ha- have their moment. They can't do it in quarantine, obviously. So let them, you know, they're all going to the same place. They've all come from the same place. So, you know, let let them have their time. And um, and to be honest, I'm really disappointed in the New Zealand media. What have we become? In the old days, that would be a no- non-story. Everyone would throw that in the bin. So I- I just, I'm just i just so disappointed that we can't just look at that as a, as a nation and just go, no, nah, we're just not going to run with this. Who's this guy? Tell him to go
3: you know, bugger off. So let them have their fun, I say. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I, I, I think we, we also understand that the you know the, the media rely on people. Uh, we do too. Uh, this is the media. For goodness sake, you're listening to. But uh, we rely on people to provide us with information. But I, I think when you get that information, you've got to balance it before you, you sort of use it. Uh, and this is a thing where even the airline... Had no, re- no registered complaints. Okay, the captain came out uh, to say settle down a wee bit. but you know, I've been on planes where the captains popped out to say hello to some people and, and you know uh, if he knew that uh, Olympic successful Olympic athletes are on board, he might have been coming out anyway and he might have just cons- coinc- oh, do we know that? It might have just coincided, coincided with the fact that they were having a good time. but I, I don't begrudge them a good time, Scott. I, I simply don't, because what they've achieved, uh, what they've gone through to get to this point, and then the prospect of going home into hiding again for another two weeks, which is a hell of a long time by yourself. Um, you know, I, I just... I don't get it. Why why someone would just be so stupid um, to and so grumpy to expose that?
5: Well, yeah, exactly, and, and And the fact of the matter is the people on the plane were all Olympians or trainers and staff, you know, so... The the person who was with them knew what they'd been through to get to that point. You know, understood the, mm. the the effort and time it takes to become an Olympic athlete. And the fact you're right, they're going into isolation, which is you know far out mental fortitude. You're going to need some. Um, it's going to be tough, especially for athletes who are really active. I mean, and they've cut back the amount of activity you can do in uh, MIQ now, haven't they? They're not allowing you to train as much as they used to. So it's going to be really hard for some of those guys who have got to go back to, you know, getting back into, into shape to to go and compete again in a few weeks or whatever it might be. So um, yeah, other, yeah, yeah, let them have their fun. Yeah. Congratulations to them.
3: Yeah, totally agree. There, some of them also might not quite understand the fact or find it hard to come to terms with uh, Scott, as well as other callers. Uh, you know, here they are having to spend representing New Zealand coming back into the country, um, the Wallabies coming into the country have got this economic exemption but they're coming from a place which is riddled with COVID as well and it's locked down uh so here, here they are new zealand athletes coming home and they go into quarantine for a couple of weeks so I, I know the medical side of it and all those ramifications as well but just looking from the outside some of them that might seem a little bit strange as well um, multi-time coming up folks multi-time coming up bad news bad news good news bad news good news bad news are lost good news i've got a good one for you today Seed.
6: You got to know when to hold them, Know when to
1: fold it. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favorite sports. Download the TAB app today.
3: Fold them, Kenny. Fold them after yesterday. Uh, this is, of course, multi-time, and uh, you can download the TAB app today. Tab.co.nz. Get amongst the multi but we urge you to please gamble responsibly. Yesterday, Chinese women's basketball team to beat Serbia. No, $1.48 they were at. They got beaten by 77 to 70. Uh, the Japan women's team beat Belgium at a buck $1.65. Uh, that was okay. And the actress to finish in the first three, of race three in Cambridge. The actress is officially a flea. No good at all. Right, so moving on to today's one. The Knights to beat the Broncos tonight. Rugby league tonight, NRL action. Knights to beat the Broncos. Uh, a buck twenty nine. Uh, we're going to go to Tokyo again and show some faith in men's basketball and the French to beat Slovenia at two dollars and seven. And in the women's football, the biggest flops of the Olympics or one of the biggest flops has been the USA women's football team, world champions, Olympic champions, everything champion about them, championing themselves quite often. Uh, they're going to beat Australia uh, at a buck sixty five. They'll finally come good tonight. So that multi collectively will be four dollars 40 John, $4.40, and I think that's pretty good value, I'm confident about today's one.
0: Yeah, mate, I don't mind that, um, dipping in in the NRL again, you've actually had some pretty good form recently in the NRL, so yep, back in the nights yeah. tonight, I love Thursday night rugby league.
3: Yeah, I like Thursday night rugby league, I, like, I used to like rugby league when it went Thursday night through to Monday night, you know, and they spread the games out, and then you only, had, you, know, you only had to live without it for a couple of nights, it was just brilliant, so yeah, yeah. Uh, another text has come through. Uh, it wouldn't be uh, a morning here on SENZ without a text from Paddy and Lulu. And Paddy and Lulu say this morning, Nosy Parkers go away, AC Smithy. Also loved the cricket on the radio last night. Yeah, England absolutely barreled out by India, who played a 4 prong pace attack. Not even needing Ashwin in this test match at Trent Bridge. Uh, I think uh, England are officially in big trouble. Rolled for 183. India, hottest of favourites to win there. After the break, one of the true legends of broadcasting in Australia and a very funny man, but a man with some very considered opinions as well, Peter Fitzsimons. He will be joining us and I'm really, really looking forward to the chat. ...personality. Former wallaby lock himself and has enjoyed, endured. I won't say enjoyed, endured a little bit of All Black pain over the years. Um, can you do it this weekend? Can you, can you heading into a double header of pain at Eden Park have optimism?
6: Oh, oh, thank you for having me. That's Peter Fitzsimons. I didn't hear the Fitz part. But anyway. <laughs> did you, did you give a small, did you give a small pat on the back to your assistant there, who no doubt got dust all over her by going into the archives to find that dusty footage from 1986. It's a long time since we've won the Bledisloe comprehensively like that. Well, in fact, I think probably the last time was 2001. It's been a grim 20 years since we won, and you don't find us at the height of our game right now. Things are a bit things are a bit grim in terms of results on the field, money off the field, the Israel our catastrophe route on our game. And just lately, the uh, the three wallabies busted for drinking after hours. So it's all a bit grim right now. But we live in hope.
3: You live in hope. But let's let's talk about those three blokes. I mean, that's pretty stupid, isn't it? To be fair, Peter. I mean, we all know that life's different now than it used to be. When uh, when you could have a few beers uh, leading into a test match, uh, you just can't do it these days. So why run the gauntlet?
6: Well, in my day, you wouldn't do it, but I find in my day quite seriously, you know when there was no money, I think it was fifty dollars a day. You wouldn't do it because if the coach said "No drinking, well, no drinking, you know the drinking Bob Dwyer particularly had what he called an on switch and an off switch, and the on you know the on switch was leading into important test matches. you could flick it off the night after you win, okay. but what what completely stuns me is that these guys are professionals. They're on half a million dollars a year. And, you know, the coach says, all right, quick beer to to chat, to talk, but, you know, get to bed. And they go upstairs and carry on for a couple of hours. I mean, it just takes my breath away. What the hell were you thinking? And while I'm having a bit of a rant, it came on the same day we found out about the, the Sevens guys, you know, the rugby Sevens coming back from Japan. Again... In my day, when you've got the Australian blazer on, we've all been drunk in our time. Most of us have been drunk in our time. And many of us, including me, have made dickheads of myself, ourselves in our time. But when you're wearing the Australian blazer, you're wearing your team, team's, team's uniform, you're coming back from a stunning Olympic Games where everybody's in love with the Australian Olympic team because they've been such terrific people. They've represented our country well. They've won gold medals. And what's going on? You've got rugby players up the back, seven rugby players up the back, vomiting and... Car- I mean, just give me a break. Again, there's a brilliant column about this in the Sydney Morning Herald today. Matter of fact, I wrote it, and 30 years ago, we talked about the the word was NTA. If you got an NTA, never to tour again. Marked on your papers, never official but unofficial. You know, a quiet word in the, in the the in the ears of the selectors and management. Look, this guy's a liability... You can't put him in a uniform and take him away again. It's too hard. And I suspect that those guys that were responsible for that with the Sevens will be an NTA. We don't feel that strongly about the Wallabies. They'll be back in a, in a, mat, in a match or two, but really deeply disappointing.
3: Peter Fitzsimons with us uh, from Australia. Of course, uh, he's currently... Uh, in a a situation of lockdown the whole of Australia is but they had the economic exemption to come to Eden Park uh, over the next fortnight which is great for rugby what is it about do you you feel is the theory about the pain of Eden Park about that that particular piece of turf that stops the Wallabies or, or is it something else?
6: It's it's look I love Eden Park. It was a privilege to always a privilege to play at Eden Park, and over the years, you know, it was it used to be (laughs) it used to be quite a pleasant oval, you know, in terms of nice little grandstands, and now it's a colosseum. But there's there is something about you know you're in New Zealand's biggest city, New Zealand's the keenest rugby nation on earth, and to play at Eden Park, you know that I always used to say that New Zealand rugby crowds didn't watch rugby they consumed it, you know, they devoured it, they just loved it, and nothing's changed over the years. So when you're, when you're playing at Eden Park, you're sort of playing at Madison Square Garden or the Royal Albert Hall. It's like, it is, it, it's like the sacred place of rugby globally.
3: Peter Fitzsimons, uh, tell us your impressions of Dave Rennie. Uh, it's been a bit of a, a revolving door Sort of situation the coach of the wallabies uh, you know some australian born some new zealand born uh, they've come and they've gone and they've tried have you got confidence about the rennie dynasty
6: the first thing i'd note about david rennie, rennie is he's a, he comes across as a good bloke a nice bloke um which is the which is the upside you know like i've dealt with him a few times and he's very approachable um speaks obviously very knowledgeably about rugby and he comes to the position with a great resume of huge success. And I I must say after Michael Checker, Michael Checker's responsible for the best rugby we've seen in this country. Back in two thousand and fifteen it was, I think, when New South Wales won the won the super rugby. We haven't seen rugby like that. He then took over the Wallabies and they got he got them to the final of the world cup that year. And after that, things turned pretty grim pretty quickly. And he was a very abrasive character. He always looked resentful of the media, resentful of the opposition. And just, it was, it was just, it was just, you know, prickly. And then Rennie comes along and he's a breath of fresh air because, you know, like he looks down the barrel of the camera, he talks openly. He doesn't get flustered. He's under attack by Alan Jones, but everybody is, um, And so that's the good part. He's like an antidote to the age he's come from. The maybe downside is, I guess, well, obviously the results haven't been fantastic. And I guess all I can say is from my own point of view, the the Wallaby coaches that I had were Alan Jones and Bob Dwyer. I wrote John Eel's biography, which was about Rod McQueen. They were very, if you you can call them A-type personalities, they were very, you know... Churchillian speeches and strong Eddie Jones was like that from a great distance Dave Rennie does not come across to me like that, he doesn't seem to be that kind of punching your fist in your palm, this is what we're going to do, this is how we're going to do it maybe that's because I'm from the amateur era, that's the way we did it maybe professional coaches now are far more buttoned down I don't know, he he doesn't come across to me as that kind of coach, which is the one I sort of instinctively feel we need but i may be totally wrong because i'm an amateur dinosaur speaking in the professional age
3: peter uh i am too uh but uh, look on the basis of what you saw between australia the wallabies and the touring french um what did yep. you notice there was it an improving wallabies side as they take on the all blacks did you see some good signs there well, the, the
6: the first good sign is they were playing. You know, two things. A year ago, to use the colloquial ex- expression, Australian rugby was on the bones of its ass. You know, across the board, things were grim, seriously grim. We had, you know, management resigned and disarray, no money in the tiller. Uh, we had, we had uh, Israel Folau. Just well, in my view, just destroying the goodwill towards rugby, just behaving absolutely appallingly and costing lots of money and re- diminishing focus on the game. Um, you know, everything was horrible. And, it, and then COVID hit. You know, it couldn't have been worse. A year later, there were the Wallabies in a new kit with full crowds, with um, a team, a respected international team. They beat them in the series. It was a very entertaining series. So even though it wasn't the you know the, the number one French team, the fantastic thing was that they were playing in the first place, and it was going out on Channel Nine free-to-air television, delivering a big audience. So from the perspective of where we were a year ago, congratulations to the chair, the management, the players, couldn't be better. But nobody was kidding themselves. The fact that you know you came to the ends of a of a so-so French team and won the won the series was great, but it wasn't the All Blacks. And the, and the real test, of course, will be Saturday night. And, you know, we all hope for the best, while the expectation, that dare that not speak its name, the expectation is that the All Blacks will win again and perhaps win handsomely.
3: Peter, you probably caught a little bit of the All Blacks' performance in their three lead-up test matches. A non-event, really, against Tonga, 102 to blank. Uh, and then two pretty competitive test matches. All be it, they still scored a lot of tries against Fiji, but they were taken on physically. Um, do you you hold the uh, taking what you've said? You, you hold the All Blacks pretty much uh, seriously in the favourites tag here.
6: Of course, you know they're All Blacks. They're, they're world champions. They're they're they're. they're all, no, I never saw an All Black team. I never saw men in All Black jerseys that didn't play their hearts out and play brilliantly. And you know they're. While soever. I think Phil Kearns was the one that said, while, while, while our ass points to the ground, the All Blacks will go into every match as favourites. I mean, you tell me the last time you remember an All Black team going into a Test match that weren't favourites. They're pretty much always favourites.
3: That's true. Um, well, they are in our minds because it you know, it runs deep for us over here and we're, we are uh, eternally optimistic that, that they'll fly the flag for us. Uh, yeah, so I, I I do believe that, but we've got a coach under pressure as well. Um, you know, we haven't got a coach who's been guaranteed a gig right through to the next World Cup. He's he's on watch, and, and uh, I, I'm not sure whether that makes an All Black team more desperate or or the coaching staff more desperate around them.
7: It's
6: interesting you say that because allow me to confess my ignorance. For the first time in thirty forty years, I'm not the name of your coach doesn't immediately spring to mind. He's on this side of the on this side of the Tasman. I've no doubt he's a fine man and a fine coach, but gee, I must say he's low profile this side of of the ditch.
3: Yeah, he is Ian Foster. Uh, He was uh, Steve Hansen's uh, deputy for a long, long period of time. He's been around the All Black camp for a long period of time, but he is a pretty understated sort of a bloke, uh, very determined in his own right. He's been waiting a while to get this gig, and he desperately wants to hold on to it. Uh, Peter, here's another thing just briefly before we, um, we let you go. Rassi Erasmus, what did you make of that? Because uh, I'm sure, I'm sure you found that interesting and, and that blast he had uh, over in South Africa.
6: Yes, yeah, so I, d- I did find that interesting. Before I get to that, can I, can I ask you a question, even though I'm on your show, it's you asking the questions, yeah. not me asking the questions. May I ask a question? Yes. What are the chances that New Zealand would ever have back my mate Robbie Deans? You know, Robbie, Robbie Deans, who had always seemed to me it was his destiny to be All Blacks coach, he was a great Wallaby coach. You know, in terms of perhaps the results at the time were not everything we wanted, but in the time since, you know, we all realised, wow, Robbie Deans was, was terrific. Is there any move in New Zealand in the future to get Robbie Deans back as All Blacks coach?
3: No. No, um, you know I work in the media, but I work very closely with the All Blacks and have done for over a period of time in terms of commentary, etc. I have not heard one one whisper about Robbie Deans being back. In fact, uh, the, the the hot item after Ian Foster, of course, is, a, is the current Crusaders coach, uh, and, and that's Razor Robertson. So, um, no, uh, no. A short answer, Peter, no. The thing that um, you
6: know, I. I hunger for in rugby generally beyond the uh, you know victory for the Wallabies and victory for Australian provincial teams. I hunger for personalities, you know, people that when they come on television, you go, "Oh, hang on, lean in here, this is interesting. Wait for this," you know. So I, I know I may be sounding like a dinosaur, but and perhaps I am, having just turned sixty. But again, 30 or 40 years ago, the personalities in the All Blacks, the personalities in the Wallabies, the the Springboks and the rest of it, made for compelling sporting theatre. And I don't know your man, Robertson, the Crusaders coach at all. Never met him. But that dance that he does when victory, I mean, I just look at that and go, geez, give us more of that. Those kind of people that are vibrant personalities beyond the winning and the losing Give us something to cheer, give us something to laugh, give us something to engage with. And Far, Nick Farr Jones once said to me that something I've never forgotten, somebody told him, but I've always quoted it. People don't go to watch sport. They go to watch people. And to really enjoy watching sport, you need to know the backstory. You need to know who these people are, what they're what they're like, what their what their personality is what the backstory is and again i don't i don't know robertson at all i repeat but gee she's an engaging media presence she's an engaging you know personality in rugby which is what we most need i've got to go my wife's cooking her little finger at me
3: that's cool Peter. thank you very much for your time um and hopefully uh, in the months to come we can uh, have a quick chat and review that uh, performance. Uh, of the Wallabies over the next two weeks, but certainly in Peter Fitzsimons' mind and uh, everyone else's mind as well, uh, they are up against it. It is 10.19 here on SENZ. Uh, it's time for the panel very, very shortly. Uh, we're going to take a, a short break. He's an interesting man, He's, isn't he, Peter Fitzsimons? He's been around a long time, written books, and uh, <clears throat> been a TV and radio personality, and uh, he'd, I'd say he wears his heart on his sleeves, but you certainly know what his opinion is. Um, and he is very forthright in it and uh, does a good job probably makes quite a lot of money out of it as well um, but uh, we never quite heard of what he thought about Rassi Erasmus but I would imagine uh, he would have had an opinion there but as his wife was wagging the finger at him he has to go because when they do you just do don't you you just do, it's ten nineteen. From
0: behind the stumps to behind the mic you're in safe hands it's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ
2: Big
3: talk, big opinions, the panel. Panel time, really look forward to this because uh, we've had some great ones uh, in the time that we've been on air and uh, we're joined by two people who have already been on and been fantastic, Hugh Bainon, uh, of course Sky Sports uh, basketball commentator, that's uh, one of his great areas of strength Uh, and alongside him today, uh, one of his former workmates, I think at the Crowd Uh, Crowd Goes Wild, Hayley Holt, of course uh, TVNZ, these days, but uh, has uh, worn many hats in terms of the media. Very experienced in that regard, and highly qualified. Uh, Haley Holt. Good morning to you to talk about Lisa Carrington, uh, our golden girl. Who just continue? I mean, it just continues to astound me how damn good she is.
8: Well, I know it's, it is astounding, but also I'm not surprised. Just by knowing her over these years and watching her develop, she is just so focused and so determined but she's also got that mental strength that we've been talking about lately and that everybody's been you know talking about files. you can't look at Lisa Carrington she's on the complete other end of the spectrum she doesn't let all of the detail or the big picture get in her way she knows what she's doing and she's got that strength to be the best in the world and she's just amazing and she's humble too which I think is why New Zealand just loves her
3: and, you know, tonight you may well um, on TVNZ be expounding the fact that uh, she uh, has got, gone into history as our greatest evil middle winner and yet, you know, it doesn't to me, Haley appear that she's making any noises about being anywhere near the end of her career. How far could she go?
8: She can keep going. I don't think she is definitely not over. I mean, she looks like she's got more in the the tank. Obviously, in Paris, they don't have the K1-200, which is her strength. That's what she's got all her gold medals in. But they do have the K1-500, and that's what she's going to be contesting today. And who knows? Maybe this is going to be her new discipline.
3: Well, she looked good. Hugh Bainon yesterday, Um, you know, it's the one that she hasn't really managed to grab, uh, grab the, the gold medal for the slightly longer distance, but she looked very, very strong yesterday. Uh, what have you made? Uh, is she your standout performer so far, or has something else caught your imagination in terms of the, the New Zealand team?
7: Oh, she always astounds me, and has done since she first burst onto the scene. Um, I've never had the fortune of meeting her like Hayley has, but just watching on from afar... And everything you hear about her is just incredibly focused and hardworking. She's 32. She's the same age as me, and she makes me feel like I've achieved absolutely nothing in my life. Um, when you see just how well she's going out there. And, and as you say to me, she's just so likable. You know, she had an eminently Kiwi quality that we really enjoy about being humble and, and not bragging about stuff. And, and just eminently likable. So, yeah, she's certainly one of the standouts. Another one for me, uh, medal-wise, that perhaps we got a little bit under the radar. I don't know, because it wasn't a gold. It was the tennis bronze. I'm a big tennis, tennis fan, and I know those two, Mike Venus and Marcus Daniel, have been slaving away on the double circuit around the world, um, and gone pretty much under the radar from a New Zealand sporting point of view. You know, Mike, Mike Venus has won a free to open along the way as well, so I thought that was a phenomenal achievement to, to grab a medal for those two.
3: Hayley, we all work in the media. We like a good story. You know, that's what pays the bills, to be fair. Uh, Is this a beat-up, this behaviour by the team on the plane, uh, on the way home? I I mean, if it it gets to the point where there's no official complaints made to anyone, uh, should it have got this far?
8: Well, can we all just relax a little bit? Honestly, these guys brought home piles of gold medals. I think they had the rowers and um, the sevens players. They're allowed to blow off some steam, you know, give them a break and... Everyone's got to stop being so offended by anyone sort of stepping a little tiny bit outside of the norm. You know, these guys deserve to have a little bit of fun on the plane, and you know, all power to them. I reckon.
3: Yeah, I, I'm the same. Um, you, I, I'm. I'm not sure about you, but you know, this is, these are exceptional circumstances for me as well. They're, they're not like they're heading home into the arms of loved ones, supporters, and that. They're heading home into quarantine. Give them a break. Give them. Give them give them just a little bit of extra latitude, surely, even if they they pushed it that far. Yeah,
7: exactly. The key for me, 100%. the real key for me, Smithy, and I think you nailed it in your sermon earlier, was that it was a chartered flight for that reason to get Olympian sign. That was the key for me. A little bit different if that's just a normal public flight. I mean, have they gone a little bit too far? Well, if the pilot has to come and tell them to calm down, maybe, but by all accounts, they did straight away after that. So yeah, I think, Do I care about it? Absolutely not. Good on them. You know, good on them. It was a charter flight for them to get them home. They've come back. They've done well. They're celebrating fair play.
3: Okay, it's uh, 10.30 here on SENZ. Please, uh, Hayley Holt, please, Hugh Bain, and stay with us. There's a couple of other issues I'd like to uh, broach with you uh, after the news with Trudy. Big talk, big opinions, the panel.
2: 10.32
3: 10.32 here on SENZ. We're slap bang middle uh, in the middle of the panel with uh, Hayley Holt this morning and uh, Hugh Bainan. Uh, Hayley, uh, news has just come through. Uh, I understand that uh, Laurel Hubbard has ret- announced retirement from weightlifting. My ine- immediate reaction to that is a big, fat, loud sigh of relief. Uh, it- it's good, isn't <laughs> it? Is it a good thing?
8: I mean... I, I, yeah, I mean, obviously we've, talk, we've spoken about this earlier and it's a really contentious and complex issue. It's not really just black and white, this thing. Um, what my take on her reaction after her event is that she's just been a really classy lady. She has got the mental strength to have gotten through, um, through the Olympics where she's had the whole world talking about her right to be there and she has still managed to pull up with class She's had respect for the media who have talked to her. Um, and I just, I really, I respect her as a person, sort of away from the discussion about whether she should have been there or not. So all power to her, I think. And she's also started this really important talking point that we do need to discuss. So she's almost a necessary uh, a necessary event, shall we say, in these Olympics so that we can actually have the, these discussions going forward.
3: I actually think that's a very good point, Haley. to be fair, an absolutely very good point, because if nothing else, there is no medal uh, that people have to regret her winning or, or celebrate her winning, but there is that legacy she has left us with that it needs more debate, Hugh, and, and that was the point even uh, when um, all the athletes, uh, Alison Rowe, etc., uh, had this letter go forward to the minister and say it needs to be more debate. I think if nothing else... Uh, Laurel Hubbard's participation will lead to that, and that can only be a good thing.
7: I'm immensely proud of her. You know, as a New Zealander, I'm immensely proud of her. We, you know, have a, a fantastic history of leading the way on social issues, from being the first country to give women the vote, you know, to going nuclear free. There's a long list, and this is just another one. I think we should all be immensely proud of her. I think history will look on her incredibly favourably. Um, a medal or not, you know, even if she won, I wouldn't have had any regrets or anything like that. As you may have mentioned, Smithy, I think she, uh, she's done fantastically. She's put up with a hell of a lot. I think people have forgotten there's a human being in the middle of this debate um, who's gone through a lot in her life and had to make some massive decisions in her life away from sport, you know, bigger decisions than any of us have, you know, have had to make. So, uh, yeah, immensely proud of her. And, um, yeah, I think she'll be remembered favourably as history goes on.
3: Yeah, I hope she can just now uh, get into uh, what is a normal life for uh, Laurel Hubbard and, and relax into it now that this is all done and dusted. Uh, Hugh, basketball. Uh, are the Lakers building a Harlem Globetrotters here? I mean, you know, <laughs> what, what are they putting together here? And is it is it going to be the team or is it not?
7: It's going to be a real experiment in load management. That's what it's going to be, uh, Smithy. <laughs> with this team is you know, old in NBA basketball terms. This is an old team. I think they've got one player at the moment currently rostered who's under 30. Um, You know, so this, and we go all out to Carmelo Anthony's 37, LeBron James 36. But, hey, who am I to say these guys are old? LeBron James is still averaging, you know, well into double-double territory and is one of the best players in the league at 36 years old. We've seen sport change over the last decade over the last 20 years, the likes of Roger Federer and, and Rafa Nadal well into their 30s, and Tom Brady winning Super Bowls in his 40s. So um, I can't see an issue with it. Yes, they're going to have to manage the load as it goes, but why not give it a go?
3: Uh, <laughs> it'll be an interesting dressing room to be in, I reckon, to be perfectly honest. A serious amount of ego in on there. Uh, uh, yeah, it be a wise yeah, one, yeah. Uh, hey. Seriously rich one as well, um, to be perfectly honest with you, Hugh. Uh, here's another one for for you, Hayley. Um, interesting today, Andrea Anakin makes history for us today, 30 years of age, she's 4 feet 11 tall, and she's the first ever New Zealander to compete in karate. Uh, this is really, this is something quite uh, different about the whole deal? Oh, it is very different. Um, her uh,
8: event too, I think it's called the cutter or something, and it's, it's, they're actually performing by themselves, so they kind of call it the art form of the martial art. So they're not actually fighting anybody else; they're actually just trying to perform their their set moves with, you know, difficulty and um, athleticism, and they're going to get judged on it. So it's kind of like an art form. And I think in the past, I may have thought this is a bit of a strange Olympic sport, but we've got so many Olympic sports now that are that are kind of straddle that line between sport and art form that um it's it's exciting to have a new zealander and uh representing us on the world stage as we like to say
3: yeah well it is on the world stage um, and, and you say it's diverse how about the 12 year old chinese skateboarder that has won an olympic silver and you throw that in against uh you tonight nick willis at the tender old age of 38 Running just as well and and with just as much pride, it seems as he always has.
7: Yeah, it's unbelievable, wasn't it? Um, I think that the, the UK had their youngest ever medalist as well, um, out there in the skateboarding, uh, Luis Scolar, the Argentinian basketballer who um, just finished his fifth Olympic Games. He's forty-one years old. Nick Nick is right up with the one that was on our great athletes of of the last 20 years. So, um, yeah, good on them. Good on them all. Like like I say, I'm nowhere near getting close to being an Olympian. So um, these guys are phenomenal no matter what age they
3: are. Yeah, well, my thanks to Hayley Holt this morning and to Hugh Bainon who have been uh, great as, as always uh, on the panel this morning. I spare a spare thought for Andrew Hoy as well, 62 years of age. So he's 50 years older uh, than the lady, the, the young girl that, that won the silver medal in the skateboard. He won a silver medal at the age of 62, in the equestrian. Is that the beauty of the Olympics, or is it not? Is that the modern Olympics, or is it not? Your texts on any of those matters, actually, 8833, uh, we will be gratefully received and read out. I've got some to uh, to read out to you very shortly. Uh, and also, uh, you can give us a call on 0800 uh, 150 811. And if you do, you could be Caller of the Month and win an All Blacks experience, courtesy of Ballpark Entertainment.
0: He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Superman. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
3: 10.44 a.m. here on SENZ. And uh, before 11 o'clock, we'll be chatting to Louis Herman Watt, of course, uh, and Paul Mawati from the TAB. Texts are rolling in. Hey, Smithy Alistair from Canterbury here. Bring that man on weekly to have a rant about Australian sportsmen. Absolutely Gold, talking about uh, Peter Fitzsimons. Uh, Jared says, I enjoyed the interview there. Quite a character and does speak some sense for an Aussie. Uh, He speaks more than that. He's quite a daunting prospect to interview, actually, because you know he's going to be combative and on most subjects probably more knowledgeable than you are. Enjoying the pirate smithy. Uh, That is also Peter Fitzsimons. A lot of you will, uh, he's the guy that wears the bandana, the the red bandana. And the reason why uh, is because it was a gift from his kids, apparently. Uh, and he just appreciated and loved it so much. He just wanted to wear it all the time, and it's not because he was uh, going bald or setting a a fashion trend at all. It was just, that was the way it was. Uh, Here's an interesting one on the Dave Rennie issue. Peter Fitzsimons talked uh, very, very fondly about Dave Rennie and his demeanour, etc. Smithy, no respect to Dave Rennie, but Peter Russell with Hawke's Bay, Dave Rennie from the Chiefs, and Leon McDonald with the Blues have all been credited with turning their teams around. The key part of all these, though, has been Tom Coventry. He has always been the brains behind these teams. Brian, very, very good observation, very good point, and I know highly respected Tom Coventry in rugby circles. Uh, we'll see just how far he does go, but you're dead right. He is a common denominator in all those successes. Nothing wrong with Kiwi athletes, uh, says Jim from Tamuka, who wear the silver fern with pride and have had put... A life of pain and sacrifice for us. Yes, us. Celebrating is a mentally health thing to do. healthy thing to do. Yep, it's not uh, like they we're doing a yard glass. Yard glass on a plane. Now, that's a movie I'd like to watch. It's Jim from Tamuka. Uh, actually, John, here's an interesting thing I, I read from uh, Andrea Anakan. This is the, the little girl we just talked about in the panel. In the She's karate. years of age. Yep. Four foot eleven in the karate today, representing New Zealand, making history in fact in that discipline for us. Uh, she's got a quote here My mum gave me an option between ballet or karate. Apparently, I said, Well, what's going to happen if I get, get kidnapped? Do you want me to dance in front of them or do you want me to fight them <laughs> off? What <laughs> interesting, yeah. Uh, it, was, it was interesting. Yeah, she sounds a delightful little. Pe- I hope she does well, but. It's an interesting uh, sport, isn't it? This one where there's actually karate, you assume, as a fight, but there's no contact at all. It's more a display than anything else.
0: Yeah, one of those sports that is going to be intriguing. Like I love the Olympics for that fact that you get to see sports that you would never otherwise see. Um, So the kata, Hayley Holt was right in the panel, that's what it is called, a performance art of a martial art. Um, So 24 past one. Andrea Anakam will be in action, our little pint-sized Kiwi, in a new sport for many New Zealanders.
3: So that's right in the middle of a lot of canoe sprint action today as well, Smithy. And also Lydia Ko tees off in round two, one under yesterday, a double bogey on the 10th hole, which really stopped her in her tracks, and then she missed a short putt also on the 18th to get to two under, which would have been a pretty good and a handy return. But she just, the thing about Lydia's game at the moment, um, is that she just makes mistakes. Uh, she hits the ball purely, but she just makes mistakes. And, and the, the way she played, uh, I think it was the 10th hole yesterday, the par 4, where she made 6. Uh, most golfers uh, are on a Saturday morning anywhere around the country would be most disappointed. It was just bad shot after bad shot after bad shot. Yeah, um, You're right about the canoe sprint. Caitlin Regal in her 500 semifinal. She looked pretty good yesterday. It's at 12.58. Uh, Lisa Carrington uh, at one nineteen. And that's a, in her semi final. She just hits the front, and no one's got their nose in front of her just yet. Uh, the blokes, Matt, uh, Max Brown and Curtis Emery, their K2 1000 semi final is at 126. Tom Walsh and Jack O'Gill's men final this afternoon at 205. Um, can they run down the hot favourite in that, the American? Mm, not sure, but you never know. You just never know what pressure does on the big stage. Uh, and then the K1 500 final, I assume that's the ladies. Uh, John get through they've got uh, well Lisa Carrington's uh, particular case she has got um, around about two hours to recover from 500 to 500 and try and win that so uh, it's a busy thing and also on the velodrome which to be perfectly honest has been a bit of a tale of woe and and why I bring up the velodrome is uh, because where are, our, where are they now segment uh, later on after 11 o'clock this morning is Hayden Ralston you've managed to get hold of Hayden Ralston uh, who, of course, will be in a pretty good situation to reflect on that uh, performance at the velodrome, which I think they've underscored. Is that fair to say? Yeah, well, so far,
0: yeah, I th- like, there's a lot of action to come with the individual um, endurance riders, but that Team Pursuit, I just feel so sorry for them, Smithy. They were .09 of a second behind Italy, who went on to win the gold medal. So that drops them down into the bronze medal write-off against Australia. They've taken the lead against Australia. There's less than two kilometres to go. And poor old Aaron Gate hits the back wheel of a teammate, ends up on the floor at 70 kilometres an hour with a deep, deep graze on his shoulder. Uh, His head slammed into that wooden floor. And all of a sudden, they're looking at bronze. They walk away with nothing. Uh, which must be absolutely gutting. So Hayden Ralston, he collected a silver and a bronze uh, at the 2008 Olympics. I just wonder what he's up to these days. So I'm looking forward to that after 11 o'clock.
3: Yep, look forward to that. Also 11 o'clock tonight, uh, 11.05. I actually uh, will be watching this. I think we all owe uh, it to Nick Willis to watch this. His semi-final in the 1500. Man, has he flown the flag, worn the fan well for us over a long period of time and you know, uh, it's just great that he is able to was able to get through. Uh, he didn't get in the top six in his heat, uh, but his qualifying time in that heat was fast enough to make sure that we see him at least one more time. So that's eleven oh five tonight. Uh, the fifteen hundred meter semifinal. Yep, Nick Willis in action there. It is ten fifty uh, when we come back. Louis Herman, what? Uh, and Paul Mawati from the TAB. The stumps
0: to behind the mic. You're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
1: The Love Racing Update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan.
3: That's Louis Herman. What time they talk about racing being in our DNA? It certainly is in uh, the DNA of this gentleman, and courtesy of uh, Love Racing because he does love racing. Uh, Louis Herman, what uh, they're not uh, galloping around anywhere in New Zealand today, but uh, I think there's some more trials at Cambridge. Horse by the name of uh, on the Bubbles might be having a bit of a hit out there, oh. I'm to believe. Uh, yes. What? yes, Do you know
2: what's the yes. I was I was thinking about this. I can't wait for when I've had a massive weekend with one of your sons or all of them after On the Bubbles is won. i just cheered it up, turned it up, and then I come in on Monday and you've even had a bigger weekend because On the Bubbles is won.
3: <laughs> I wish I could. I, I won't back it. Here's the thing: I, I'm such a jinx <laughs> on that I, I haven't, I have not had a, a bet on it. I mean, when it won, I can tell you when it. <laughs> I'm using up your time here. That's when I, all right. When, I won, uh, when it won the, the, the million-dollar race, uh, Eliza Lee, the two-year-old two year million-dollar race, I wouldn't watch it with the rest of them. The whole family was there. <laughs> so I went on top uh, up the top of the public stand where I watched a friend of mine's horse win the Derby called Jimmy Shoe. Yes. And I thought, I'll go and find a seat pretty similar to that because that was lucky for me. So I went up there, and then I had that on the Bubbles cap on. Uh, and, of course, it won the race, and it was always going to win. So, uh, you know... About 100 metres out, I started my celebration yelling and, and like a stupid idiot. I had the hat on, and I ran down the front of that public stand to try and, you know, to get to the member stand and, and, and join the, in the celebration with the rest of the family. I behaved like an absolute goose. People must have thought, what are you? <laughs> a lot of people thought because I was wearing the on the Bubbles hat that I was an owner. So I basked in it for just a little short period of time. It was fun. It was a good day out.
2: Oh, was it? What a good day out. And um, we all made plenty that day. And I reckon you can make plenty this weekend if you follow the right trends. It's Ruakaka. It's the Cambridge Stud and Breeders Stakes. Three-year-old set weights and penalties race now. Dream Queen is short because she's been so impressive. That is the super easy filly. But Midnight Rocket. Now there's been a bit of a movement in the market here for the marshy runner with Danielle Johnson on top. I reckon we can find one in here. We can figure it out, but it might take a little bit of study. We're going to let's a little tease for tomorrow's segment, Smithy, and we'll have more to tell you then. But great memories is on the bubbles. Got us on the bubbles.
0: This is mornings with Ian Smith
5: and New Zealand. Ready for a bronze medal to celebrate. They'll come round the final bend. It's a comprehensive victory over Australia and the bronze medal. More success
3: then for New Zealand on the track. That was success uh, for our men's pursuit team uh, back in Beijing in 2008. They managed to pick up a bronze medal but uh, last night New Zealand were cruelly denied uh, that opportunity uh, as Aaron Gate. Uh, clipped the wheel of his teammate and hit the velodrome floor really hard and uh, burnt himself and ripped his uniform to pieces so it was a bit of a tale of woe but it wasn't for the man who's joined us right now he managed to pick up uh, an Olympic bronze medal uh, in that pursuit and also uh, a silver in the individual pursuit beaten only by the great Sir Bradley Wiggins probably the most celebrated track cyclist in the history uh, of the sport Uh, Hayden, uh, first of all Good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, uh, Where are you these days? What are you up to?
9: Yeah, thanks very much. Um, I am in Christchurch these days, but I do um, a bit of uh, commuting through to Cambridge as I'm employed by Cycling New Zealand to look after our um, up-and-comers, our development group. Um, So it's a really cool space to be in um, and still heavily involved in cycling.
3: Well, Hayden, you would have, uh, I would imagine... Had uh, a bit to do with some of our team, or if not all of the the team that have been uh, over there uh, in Tokyo. Uh, what have you made of uh, of the performance this far? Uh, this far, we haven't had a lot of luck, have we?
9: No, it's um. <clears throat> I mean, last night was absolutely devastating. Um, you know, the guys. I mean, they at least deserved a bronze medal, but to be honest, they were. You know, for me, they they could have won gold as well. Um, I was actually asked by a number of people like my thoughts going over there, and I said I reckon they could either win or get fourth. I wasn't anticipating a a crash that would make them fourth, but it's just I knew it was going to be really close, and even on their best day, doing everything right, they could still finish fourth, you know, less than a second behind first. So, um, yeah, seeing last night and um, knowing knowing how much those boys have put into that ride, and to see it finish like that, it's really, really uh, upsetting.
3: There was a really poignant moment, actually, which was captured on television uh, when Aaron Gate was able to pick himself up off the deck and get uh, helped around past the TV cameras again. He looked straight down the barrel of the TV camera, and he, it looked as if he said, sorry, as if he was saying to maybe us at home or maybe uh, all those people had supported him in that. Uh, and you've you got to feel for the, for the guy uh, if he's feeling that deeply about it. Uh, it, it, was, it was quite weird in a way, quite surreal
9: yeah I mean, hey, at the end of the day, um Gatie didn't wake up that morning say, I'm going to crash did he it was a um it was a mistake, and even though those guys have done you know hundreds, if not thousands of flying t p efforts or standing t p efforts um, it was just one of those unfortunate uh incidents that happen, and just at that level, when everything's on the line, you know just overshooting the wheel by a couple of millimeter millimeters can have a devastating effect, I mean that's what we saw last night but um you know, I know those boys really well and um, they would have all rallied around Gaty and none of them would have, you know, um, would have been upset with him. Of course, they'll be all very disappointed, but they're actually very, very, very good friends and um, that's that's the reason why they've actually gone really, really well. But, you know, it's it's heartbreaking for Gatie, Normally, he's the guy that brings the team home um, and I really feel for him. You know, because he's 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 done so much for that team, being the oldest in the team and most experienced, and for him to for that for that to happen, it's just it's really unfortunate.
3: 11:07 uh, here on S E N Z. We're talking to uh, a successful Olympian and now uh, heavily involved with our cycling program and the development of our people coming through, uh, Hayden Ralston, which is uh, fantastic, mate. Do you you relive those memories of 2008 when you when you look at the Olympics now? Does it does it take you back to those moments?
9: Yeah, it's um, it, it's quite funny, really. Like, it's hard to think that uh, we did have that success in two thousand and eight. Um, but yeah, I mean, those medals will be mine forever. So it's it's quite cool to look back and think that I did did achieve that. Um, we had a like like these boys now over there, this this endurance team. Um, all of us are still really close. The the well, there was five of us over there at the time. Um, so we're we're all still really close. All in a group chat talking last night during the racing and. Um, yeah, it's nice to look back and think that we did, did achieve that success. Um, yeah, but it's just, you know, seeing these boys and just knowing them and seeing them training and all that sort of stuff and to see it unravel the last minute, it's pretty upsetting, eh?
3: Yeah, it is upsetting. And the decision time, I guess, this morning, because uh, the men's omnium uh, is on later today, uh, and Aaron was, was expected to perhaps ride in at Aaron Gate, but of course uh, he, he'll have some sort of a fitness test or... Uh, or something of, of that nature. Otherwise, it'll uh, be Campbell-Stewart getting the nod, I would imagine.
9: Yeah, um, not a bad replacement, to be honest. Um, you know, Campbell was uh, world champion in that event only a couple of years ago, um, and it's neck and neck for those boys as to who got the spot anyway. So, yeah, I I, 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 um, I pray that Gady's uh, able to race, but, um, you know, if not, at least we've got a, a very good backup being Campbell. Um but yeah, I, I just hope these guys can come away from the Olympics with something. You know, fourth is probably the, um, the uh, you never want to finish fourth at the Olympics. You know, you get nothing for it after all that hard work. But hey, it's the it's the cutthroat nature of our sport. It's a high-level sport. And when you're talking about milliseconds, you know, things can go wrong at the last minute. And that's what we saw
3: last night. Cycling like any sport is about tactics. Tell us the tactics that are, that are involved uh, in, in winning an Omnium.
9: Well, um, the Omnium is really like the heptathlon uh, or decathlon or whatever it's called on the on the track and field, you know. It's about um, marking points through a number of different uh, events, different um, races for cycling, and it's about actually being super consistent, you know. If you can be always top four, top five in, in these races, then you're going to mark good points, um, and you'll go into the points race, which is the last race, uh, with a real shot at winning, you know. So... Um, Campbell and that day and Gady, they're very very experienced with how to run an um, Omnium and yeah like I say it's just about you know you don't even light, light the world on fire at every single event but just make sure you're consistent um, and, and you know finishing right up, right at up the top of that leaderboard throughout all the races
3: Hayden with what we've got coming up what do you regard as our best medal prospects
9: well I would have, I would say the Omnium, um, we've got a real shot, even with, even, you know, I keep saying even with Campbell, I mean, Campbell was, Campbell was actually going to be doing the event, you know, uh, up until about a month ago, and then that got changed just, just due to uh, Gaty actually going um, really well, so um, Campbell, I, I 100% believe, and sometimes things happen for a reason, I 100% believe, if he's, if, he, if a few things go his way, he can, he can win. Um, he wasn't world champion for no reason and he wasn't um, primed for this event for no reason up until a month ago you know so I really believe that he can he can uh, win um, if not definitely medal um, and then of course the medicine as well but the medicine was meant to be with Aaron gate and also Campbell and if Gatie's out through injury then I'm not sure who will be the reserve for the for the medicine but Those boys are all super talented, Um, and yeah, like I say, I hope they come away with something, but I think Omnium's probably our our best shot, given the fact that Gady might be injured.
3: Talking to Hayden Ralston here, it's uh, 11 minutes past 11 here on SENZ. Uh, Let's just move away from the Olympics uh, and look at the state of cycling in New Zealand. As you say, you're involved in the development side of things, and you're spending a lot of time uh, up there uh, in Cambridge at uh, that wonderful Velodrome facility. How do you view um, cycling going forward and in, in the short term for us?
9: Uh, we are very, very lucky. We've got um, a lot of uh, a lot of really good good juniors coming through. Really good under seventeen yet to come yet to come into juniors. But you know, we're especially in the endurance side. We're quite fortunate to have um, a pretty deep, deep talent pool. This is on the track, um, on the road as well. It's you know. Um, I guess you could say Julian Dean sort of kicked things off or even before that, uh, Chris Jenner and then Julian Dean and then um, Greg Henderson and myself and, you know, the, on the road. So that's really now kicked off into George Bennett and, and um, there's a whole lot of really good road riders coming through as well. It's only a matter of time now before Sight New Zealand invests uh, quite a bit of money into into the road. Um, and yeah, like I say, the, the development and the, the riders coming through, is uh, there's a lot of thought that goes into the development programs these days on the track. Um, but yeah, we're, we're very fortunate to have big, big talent pools, uh, some exceptional bike riders, and uh, it's quite cool to be a part of that space.
3: Technology is uh, one of the most, oh, I think, hard, hardest thing to catch up uh, keep up with in sport and catch up with it, actually. Uh, and it's no different in cycling as well. I've been listening to some of the commentary. They talk about the magni- <coughs> excuse me the magnificent bikes that uh, the Italians are riding at the moment. The suits that they're all wearing. Everything, of course, is designed to make it more aerodynamically favourable in favour of the cyclists to improve times. Uh, just how much, for a start, how much does one of those bikes cost uh, to put together? Those Olympic-style bikes.
9: Yeah, um, it's a really good question, um, and actually, there the, the does need to be a price tag on them in order to be able to use them through the UCI. That's our governing body. Um, it's got to be available to the public to buy. Um, I, I can't remember what I mean. If you're going to try and buy ours with all the good equipment on, I, I don't think you'd get much change out of you know thirty or forty thousand for one bike. Um, but then I think the British bike, I think their price tag could be well over that, like above fifty thousand dollars for a bike. So. You know, you're talking a pretty big chunk of change to get on one of these Olympic bikes. Um, but like you say, te- you know, technology is is everything. There's a lot of there's a lot of research, um, a lot of development that goes on in that area. You know, we're fortunate to have Southern Spars involved, um, making our uh, disc wheels. Um, there's talk about you know you know whether one day they make a bike and all that sort of stuff. So we're really really lucky to have them as partnering part. Who partner with Site New Zealand, um, but yeah, technology is huge. I mean, it's not just in cycling; it's in a range of sports. You know, um, I just hope it doesn't get too out of hand, where you know it sort of takes away the uh, what the bike rider does himself. Um, but yeah, it's just it's part of part of um, evolution, really.
3: Yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because you, you look at a sport like golf uh, and what it's done to golf in terms of. You know, the, the style of the club, uh, the manufacture of the ball, some go further, some spin more, et cetera, like that. There has to be, does there not, there has to be a limit because at the end of the day, it's about the human, isn't it? To, to be fair, it's about the human's ability to perform the skill to a large degree.
9: Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, and, and you know, if you look at a 250-metre velodrome with a, with a bank, um, you know, the, a steep banking, there's only so, so much fast. Uh, so much more speed in the legs, you're going to go on that track before you end up in the fence, you know. So there's got to be a limit at some point. Um, but the UCI, are, um, yeah, they're pretty good at like making sure it doesn't get too out of hand, um, like the rest of the world, I guess, in other sports. Um, and that's why they they are governing, um, you know, setting those rules in place. Um, but like I say, there's, there's, there's I don't know how much quicker they're going to be able to go before they start venturing up towards the fence and track cycling, they eh? because you know they're getting getting round 70 you know 70 to 80k now some of those sprinters and um, you know you've only got to do that one time on a bike behind a motorbike to realize just how fast that is it's quite phenomenal
3: yeah and you only have to see what happened to uh, to happen to Aaron Gate last night and he walked away from it thank god uh, to feel just, just and to see just how dangerous and frightening it can be from time to time Hayden Rolston thank you so much for joining us it was wonderful to catch up with you uh, and to get an insight into uh, how we're going at the moment over there in Tokyo, but uh, what we look like going ahead, and uh, keep up the good work there uh, with Cycling New Zealand. Uh, right, there's an all-black team going to be named uh, shortly around, uh, shortly after 11.30. We're going to have details of that with you, which means we're going to bring Stump Smithy forward. Uh, we're going to have uh, an ad break, but call us on 0800-150811, 0800-150811. You could win 50 bucks worth of TAB vouchers, Uh, If you can stump me, in other words, be brainier than me. It's as simple as that. Good luck. Cricket will do. All right. One chance to take it all.
0: Ian Smith had 176 dismissals as a wicketkeeper in Test cricket. Not bad. Who tops the list for the most dismissals by a wicketkeeper in Test cricket of all time?
4: Oh. Oh... I say, like, what's
2: that Australian, uh, is it Ian Healy, it, he was the keeper? I think. Feet everywhere, body nowhere, and uh, the rest of him on the way back to the pavilion.
0: It is not Ian Healy, I think there are about four Australians though in the top six, uh, so so many yeah. great Australian wicket keepers, but no, Ian Healy yeah. is not the correct answer, so Smithy, over to you, three stumpings in a row.
3: Yeah, there's a fair chance here, I'm, I'm torn between a couple, uh, to be fair. Uh, they chop and change the wicket keepers a lot these days, so you don't get a lot of longevity. I mean, BJ Watling was probably, uh, of the modern keepers the one with the most longevity. Uh, I'm going to take an absolute punt here, Brenton, and I, I hope I'm wrong from your point of view. I'm going to go with Mark Boucher from South Africa. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, under where it goes. Smithy with a hat-trick.
0: <laughs> Smithy with a hat-trick. <laughs> 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 oh, well done. Hey, Brenton, because there are no yeah. more callers and we love giving away cash, um, I reckon stay yeah. on the line and we'll give you that $50 voucher because Smithy doesn't need the money. He has just got a massive smile like a Cheshire cat that's got all the cream. Yeah. Well done. Uh, so yeah. just stay on the line there, Brenton. Cheers, mate. Oh,
4: thank you, man.
0: Anytime. Well, Smithy, on form today, do you want to have a guess at how many dismissals Mark Boucher got during his career because it's a phenomenal number? Yeah,
3: it's over 500, isn't it?
0: Yeah, absolutely,
3: Five, five, five. five. Uh, I mean, that is incredible.
0: Yeah. Is it
3: Brenton? Incredible, actually, in itself, Mark Boucher. And his career came to an end uh, prematurely because uh, he he, lost, he almost lost the sight of one eye in a freak cricketing accident where uh, a bale flew up. A ball hit the bale. He was standing up to the stumps. A ball hit the bale, flew directly into his eye. And that's freakish, man. That is freakish. So uh, that uh, was pretty much... Uh, the end of it, from from Mark Boucher's point of view, he's lucky he didn't fully lose the side of one eye. Terrific wicketkeeper, keeper, a terrific batsman, a teri- terrific uh, competitor, actually, for South Africa over the years. They've always been strong in those areas. Dave Richardson earlier on, and, of course, Quinton de Kock now. So uh, they've had some good ones. Uh, Mark Boucher, though, the most prolific, John.
0: Yeah, and just before we go to news uh, and then the All Blacks team after that... Uh, the wicket-keeping's changed, hasn't it? Like, back in your day, you, d- you didn't have to be an epic batsman, even though you scored a ton, an unforgettable two tons, actually, and one unforgettable one. Just how much uh, emphasis goes on glove work these days? And, like, were wicket-keepers better back in the day? Have they lost the art of wicket-keeping these days?
3: No, I don't think they've lost the art of it, but it isn't, it isn't the priority that it was. Uh, our classic example is uh, the Indian uh, keeper, Rishabh Pant, who's, uh, in my opinion, quite an average glove man, but a hell of a batsman uh, and, you know, a match turner in that. And you, you can compensate for that, they say these days. And the bloke that changed it, not that he was a poor wicketkeeper or not, he was a very, very good wicketkeeper. Anyone that can to Shane Warne, is absolutely outstanding and read all the uh, intricacies of about what he's doing uh, and, and get very comfortable with it. The bloke that changed the art of wicketkeeping and the need to score runs was actually uh, an SEN colleague of ours, Adam Gilchrist. Uh, and Gilchrist was that good and that prolific with the bat that, uh, you know, you could afford for him to play at number six or seven in the batting lineup. Wicketkeepers generally were, used to be number eight, maybe number nine even. Uh, so, you know, all of a sudden, the, the, the need to have a wicketkeeper who could bat well adds to the balance of your team. If you've got a, a wicketkeeper who's very good with the bat, you can play an extra bowler. Uh, and that helps the, the dynamics of, of any team that you go into. So, yeah, Adam Gilchrist, I, I attribute him to changing the art of wicket-keeping and making it much more dependent on your ability with the bat. It is 11.31 actually. We're slightly late, but here's the news with Trudy. 11.33 and uh, that piece of music uh, actually for us signifies breaking news and uh, breaking news today is in the form of the All Black Test Team Uh, to play the Wallabies at 7.05 beginning at Eden Park this coming Saturday night, the first of two at Eden Park. Uh, Now, normally this is read out uh, at official times to the bulk of the media by the chairman of the Rugby Union. Uh, We haven't got him available to us today, but we've got the chairman of the 9 to 12 uh, morning show, uh, John Day, can you, in your best, deepest voice, name us that All Black team, please?
0: Yes, thank you, Ian Smith. It is my pleasure to bring you the All Blacks team to face the Wallabies at Eden Park. Number one, George Bauer. Number two, Cody Taylor. Number three, Nipo La Lala. Number four, Brody Retallick. Number five, Samuel Whitelock. Number six, Akira Iwani. Number seven, Dalton Papali'i. Number eight, Adi Savia. Number nine, Aaron Smith to play his 100th test. Number 10, Richie Mo'onga. Number 11, on the left wing, Rico Iwani. Number 12, David Havili. Number 13, Anton Leonard brown Number 14, Severu Reese. And number 15, Damian McKenzie. And to the bench, Dane Coles, Carl Tuinukawawe, Angus Ta'avau, Scott Barrett, Luke Jacobson, Brad Webber, Bowden Barrett and Geordie Barrett. And that is your 23 to face the Wallabies on Saturday night, Ian Smith.
3: Okay, we'll get you to read it out again very shortly, John, but my initial... Uh, reaction to that is um, the Auckland duo and the loose forwards um, I, I wasn't sure I was going to go Akira Ioane but yeah he's in there and Dalton Papuoli and Artie at 8 now that's the first interesting thing I get from that makeup. same
0: yeah um, I thought they were going to go Jacobson at 8 because he's just been so impressive there and, and you get to have Artie at 7 which is many people still think his best position and still think he's the best open side uh, in New Zealand and perhaps the world so Oh, I guess when they dropped Hoskin Satutu back to the MPC, that was a bit of a, a showing there that they might have gone with Artie at number eight, their more experienced player. I, I'm i not totally convinced by Akira Yuani yet, but I think he did have the best of the three tests that we've seen so far this year, and he was pretty good on the end of year tour last year. So another massive chance for him. And Rico Ioane back on the left wing, Smithy.
3: Yeah, the brothers are on the starting 15 and the brothers Barrett, um also uh, all three of them in the, on the bench, that's the way I read it, Scott Barrett has a reserve uh, lock utility there on the bench and also Geordie and Bowden Barrett are uh, the, on the bench as well, so we've seen them on the park together, I'm not sure we've ever seen them starting on the bench together in all black jerseys. Uh, 08, 0800 150811, if you've got a thoughts on that team. Uh, 8833, time to look us a quick text before midday and uh, your initial impressions of, of what the makeup is from your point of view? Um, yeah, Brodie Retallick, we we got um, we we got the gist of uh, of that. I think that he was going to be starting, but uh, for me, that I, I, I could have gone either way with that. But they've always maintained, uh, and Ian Foster, even throughout the series against uh, Fiji, that they were pretty settled on what they thought. Yeah, um, they been settled on, on that on that makeup. Yeah, interesting. And it's his job on the line, you know. Lose at Eden
0: Park and you're toast, aren't you? So you've got to have your best players out there for 80 minutes. And Brodie Retallick is an 80-minute player for me. He's just got the biggest engine in the team and he's someone who will want to hurt the Wallabies. And I look at the All Blacks pack over the last few years since Owen Franks has left and Dane Coles is on the bench. There's not many in 1-8 to eight that I go, oh, I'd be scared of him if I was on the field. Uh, but Brodie Retallick is one of those guys for me, Smithy.
3: It is a hell of a bench. I mean, that is one heck of a bench, but you put goals in there, uh, and the Barrett brothers, all all three of them. So there's certainly some impact there uh, from about the, I'd say, the 50-minute mark onwards uh, if the All Blacks are in trouble and they need something. Uh, Could you... I've just got a text, actually, John. Uh, You missed the provinces there when you... you, uh, uh, name those people we won't ask you to do it but could you just pr- pre- briefly just go through it again without the funny stuff just 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 go the names <laughs> yeah mate absolutely all right george bauer cody taylor nipola Lala's your front row
0: Brody Ritalik and sam whitelock are your locks akira iwani dalton papalii are your flankers artie severe number eight aaron smith and richie Moonga nine and ten midfield david Haveli, anton leonard brown the wingers rico iwani and sevu reese and Damian McKenzie at fullback, and no Will Jordan in the 23. So I'm just no. wondering whether that's the hammy that he had in that third test, uh, in the July tests, or whether they just cannot fit him in and they want that insurance policy of Geordie Barrett to kick those big goals at the end of a
3: game. Oh, look, I have no doubt that uh, that Geordie Barrett's there for that factor as well, but you know, you've, when you pick a, a 15, that's fine. You've got to pick a squad of 23. That's how the game is played these days, but you've also got to uh, pick a pick a side uh, that also you know is vulnerable to injury and and you've got to make adjustments. So the, you've got to cover all your bases off the bench and I, I think they've pretty well done that. I, I think it's a, a really good side on reflection, a, a very, very good side. Uh, the, the one for me that is, is the surprise, I, I think, is the loose forward area, but we'll see. And uh, two of them are Aucklanders and two of them, of course, will be playing at home at Eden Park. Uh, it's 11.39 here on SENZ. So uh, your chance to bring us uh, with some text, 8833, maybe a call or two before midday. We'll chat to Staffy before the break. He'll uh, have some, uh, some thoughts, of course, on the makeup of that, that all-black side. Uh, we'll be back shortly on SENZ. Safe hands. It's
0: Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
3: So, John, just repeat for us uh, that uh, all-black side very quickly so we can get uh, stuck into some of these texts.
0: Absolutely, alright, got George Bauer, loose head prop, Cody Taylor, hooker, Nipo Lala, tight head prop, Retallick and Sam Whitelock as the locks, Akira Ioane on the blind side, Dalton Papali'i on the open side, Ardi Savia at number eight, Aaron Smith and Richie Moonga, the inside backs, David Havili and Anton Leonard-Brown, the midfielders, Seveu Rees and Rico Ioane on the wings, and DMAC, Damian McKenzie at fullback. The bench is Coles, Tuinuku Awe, Barrett, Jacobson, Webber, Barrett, Barrett. So three
3: Barretts on the bench, and that is the 23, Smithy. And the Wallabies will announce their side about 4.30 this afternoon after their final um, serious hit-out. We've got text here. Fergus from Danny Virk says, hey, Smithy and John, love the show, but it's a pretty predictable side. However, how can they justify saying Luke Jacobson is behind Ioani at six? Savira is a good option at eight and will probably be there long-term with Kane returning, etc. Akira has gotten away with more chances than any other player over the last two years. Clearly a favourite of Foster's. Is he trying to prove a selection he made several years ago? Um, Smithy, agree with you, mate. Artie should be at seven. Thought Jacobson deserved a run at eight. So there's a conflict of opinion, eight and six. Akira is also questionable, as he has yet to set the world on fire at test level. Dane Coles didn't start the drawn test last year, and we lacked mongrel in the forwards. We're worried we may see similar on Saturday against a big Aussie pack. Uh, Thanks for that, uh, Ben. Interesting point of view. Uh, And uh, another one here. Based on that side, the All Blacks look like they want to run the Wallabies ragged for 50 to 60 minutes, then throw the bench out there and close it out. I really do think that they are underestimating the Wallabies here. This game will be close. Uh, I have no doubts that I think it'll be close for a long period of time, uh, and I appreciate those sentiments as well. So, uh, yeah, keep them coming in, or text Staffy this afternoon on your thoughts for those as well. Uh, 8833 is the number there. Yeah, very very interesting indeed. Do we know who the referee is yet? Uh, I haven't. I've been looking for that. I haven't been able to find who the referee for the encounter is. Whether uh, they won't have been able to, unless it's an Aussie that they flew in on the same plane uh, as the Wallabies. It certainly won't be from anywhere else around the world, or it'll be a New Zealander. So and two or three of those are overseas at the moment, so it'll be interesting who gets the whistle, Uh, and of course that'll be a much-talked-about performance uh, as well. Uh, We were average against them last year. We had four test matches against them last year. We won two, we drew one and lost one, so that wasn't convincing enough from New Zealand fans' points of view, and and, uh, there were times there were questions asked after a lot of those performances as well, John. So, yeah, you you make a good point. It is uh, Ian Foster's job on the line, uh, you don't think, for one, that he can get away with uh, turning over history and losing at Eden Park, being the coach that did that. I'm not sure about that. I think there's a bit more faith in uh, Ian Foster than, than, than that. I, I believe that um, they're pretty happy with, with where they're at with the coaching staff, uh, the powers that be. So it would take a, a, a couple of losses for me, I think, uh, and a pretty poor winter for Ian Foster to be under that kind of pressure to make a big change like that i will be wrong, but that's just the sense I get from it.
0: Yeah, no, fair enough. I'd like to hear your opinion on um, Akira Iwani because that's the guy that already our texas have kind of um, pointed out that he's kind of the, the fortunate son in this team, getting too, too many chances, in some people's opinion, on the blindside flank and that Luke Jacobson maybe deserves a crack ahead of him. What do you think of that?
3: Yeah, I, I agree. I would have quite liked to have seen uh, Hoskins Satutu play, actually, in this test match. Um, and I'd like to see Adi Savia at number seven. I, would, I thought Satuti is very, very good and worth persevering with it. And the more experience he gets, I think the better he will be for it. I, I also believe that Akira Ioane played very well um, in the outing he had, particularly the last outing he had against Fiji. I thought he was one of the All Black's best players. But he tends to come and go a wee bit. That's what worries me. He tends to come and go and you want, when you're under pressure, yeah, you don't want them to go. You want them to come. And uh, I'm not sh- quite sure uh, whether Akira Iwani has proven to me to that level. So that for me is uh, the question mark over Akira Iwani.
0: And are we going to get that sort of four dominance that we normally get uh, against the Wallabies? Normally we can push their scrum around a hell of a lot uh, at the moment. Offa Tawangafasi and Joe Moody are both out injured. George Bauer and Nipolalala, uh, are they going to be able to get that set-piece dominance at scrum time? And probably not as many scrums as they used to be, but you know that's normally a thing that definitely Crusaders teams go to and All Blacks teams. When they're under the pump, they can go to their set-piece and dominate a team like the Wallabies. Can they do that with George Bauer and Lalala
3: I think they can scrum well. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. But what I don't see there is a terrific ball-carrying prop. You know, the Tongan Thor, uh, he's going to be a, a ball-carrying prop. Uh, he'll be solid at the scrum time from uh, South Africa's, uh, sorry, Australia's point of view. He'll be very, very strong there. Uh, but I'll, I'll be honest with you, uh, I don't see great ball-carrying props in the All Black squad at this point. And I know that's uh, that an issue that uh, they were looking at uh, as they went to finalise their squads. They still haven't announced the ref officially, Smithy, uh, which is interesting. But I can tell you, it's Paul Williams. There you go. I've heard from uh, Albie and Napier. He seems to be in the know. Paul Williams will be the referee with Mike Fraser and Brendan Pickerell as the ARs. So uh, we'll see if that comes to pass. Hey, Albie, thanks very much for that scoop, mate. That's uh, really cool. Uh, After the Aussies versus France series, are we really that worried about Australia? I am, you know, because it's Australia versus New Zealand and that is slightly different. Ask anyone who's put either of those jerseys on. And any coat, that is certainly different. I feel the Wallabies will be out to frustrate our uh, Lucy trio with that setup. Uh, Hooper will annoy Papa Ali'i to throw him off his game, and Ioane will be niggled trying to get a reaction. Would have rather seen Blackadder, Xavier at 7, Blackadder at 6, and Jacobson at 8. Well, interesting thoughts there. Will Jordan has been the best fullback in the country for the last two years and can't make the 23? Madness! Madness, they say! Interesting. So there is feeling always around the All Blacks, John. There's always feeling, always feeling, and it's so fantastic, and that's why we love it. Exactly.
0: Team Naming Thursday, it's a beautiful thing, and to have it in the show is just wonderful, and I love those last two texts because they're bigging up Tasman players, but they haven't put their names on them. So if you are sending in wonderful texts about Markle players like Will Jordan and Ethan Blackadder, chuck your name on it and where you're from because we'd love to give you a shout-out to the top of the South, the two-time defending champions. Don't forget.
3: Yeah, okay, well it's fair, I thought that there was a text on the a name on the second one, it was Madness, and I thought anyone from Tasman uh, would have a name pretty close to that. But anyway, just moving along, uh, it's uh, nine minutes, nine minutes away from midday, uh, and uh, it's just about time to catch up with Mark Stafford and find out what's happening this afternoon here on SENZ.
0: Zealand. Oh, Superman. Nothing gets past Smithy, this is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
3: coming up to midday, and that's uh, when Mark Stafford uh, takes hold of the bridge. Uh, Look, it's not hard to get reaction when they name an all-black side, is it? Uh, Kerry Ioane, way too easy to wind up. Dave Rennie will get his boys to wind him up, and he will be off his game early, not smart enough to brush it off. That's Pete. Uh, Will Jordan, nursing a tight hammy. Good team, will be a tight game. A lot of uh, people seem to have forgotten what happened in Wellington last year. That's from Amit. Go the ABs. Uh, go Mark Stafford, that's what I say this afternoon uh, and on the back of an all-black naming. Uh, your initial thoughts, uh, Stafford, as you look at that team?
10: I've just been handed it, Smithy. Just been handed okay. it and my initial reaction is the Akira Ioani, and he will be targeted, so he'll have to take some Valium before he plays or something just to take a chill pill. Is that what a chill pill was? Um, interesting 7 and 8 combination with Dalton, Papali'i and Adi. A couple of uh, physical fetches like that. I guess the big talking point is Richie Moonga holds the 10 jersey. The thing I want from uh, Richie Moonga, Smithy, is a number of good performances in a row. Not little cameo good performances and I don't think we've seen that yet. He's very capable of it but it starts to, uh, it starts Saturday and if he goes well, go again. Put him in 10 again and just get that confidence up for him but I like Seve Rees at 14. I'm pretty happy about that and I'm keen for David Havili to kick on as well. So yeah, I actually... I quite like that. I do like that. OK, that's cool. Uh, what's on your agenda this afternoon, mate? Uh, first up, straight after midday, so about 10 minutes away, uh, Sarah Hidany, uh the captain of the Blackfern Sevens, is back. And she actually just sent me a message and she said her husband has listened to just about every minute of SENZ since we launched. And he's very excited to hear his wife on the show today. So, Connor Konohirini, you'll probably get a shout out. There you go, champ. You're probably listening right now. Um, And absolutely, Wayne's World is a very popular segment we have, a supreme coach of pretty much everything. And the listeners love to hear his his thoughts on all things coaching. Dan Bowden out of Auckland, just waiting on a confirmation from Yvette McCausland-Jury to give us a preview of the final this Sunday. And, of course, she's just been re-signed and is rejoining the Pulse from next year, which is great news. Maddie Johnson out of counties. Um, Kate Burley from the Mystics. And we've got a call in, Smithy, uh, with Marcus Daniel, who obviously won the bronze oh. at the Olympics he's currently playing right now in Washington but he's going to step off the court hopefully and have a chat to us later so big old day fantastic staff thanks for that uh, so look forward to doing that
3: and to listening to that Sarah Hurini yeah and if you can get Marcus Daniel what a good fit that would be ATP very very busy uh, they go from the Olympics straight to Washington that's where they're making the money. Okay, been fantastic morning. Really enjoyed catching up with all our guests. Uh, Brian, outstanding again. John, pretty good. got to work on your naming. The all is uh, Kiwi for As Sport. Always, we start with Trudy, we end with Trudy, we feel safe with Trudy. Let's see.